Hi, my friends. I do this work with all my heart for you. So please contribute generously to Future Primitive. my friends who listen to Future Primitive. I am here now, today, with Richard Dietrich Maddox. He grew up, grew up in the Midwestern United States and graduated with honors from Princeton University. After graduation, he spent four years in Europe studying literature and preparing to teach meditation. He then taught meditation for two more years before serving as vice president of sales for seven successful high-tech startup companies. In 2005, he retired from the business world to concentrate on writing. Remembering Eternity is his collection of nine books. It is utterly unique in the annuals of literature, and its scope has been described by readers as breathtaking. Remembering Eternity is far more than a story of enlightenment. The novel features characters so real that they seem to appear as holograms before the reader's eyes. I'm not going to read any more about the book in this bio because I would like the author to describe his, his work. So he says, though, that if you open the book, one thing is sure, you will not close it until... You've finished it. So welcome, Richard. Thank you, Joanna. And uh, tell us about um, the Odyssey. Not the Odyssey, the book, but the Odyssey of your book. Yes, thanks. It's Remembering Eternity, Joanna, grew out of uh, something that I think is true for most of us, kind of a lifelong desire to understand the answers to the big questions in life. Why are we here? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why are we born in the families that we're born into? Why do we come into contact with the people that we come into contact with? What happens when we, when we die? And I pursued these questions starting in, uh, when I was a child and then all through college and eventually uh, through spiritual practices and meeting several enlightened saints, and eventually came up with what I considered to be a, a cogent uh, explanation of, of spiritual matters that obviously was, was not my own, but something that I drew from the wisest uh, beings that have ever graced the earth. So remembering eternity, is it functions on multiple levels, Joanna. On one level, it attempts to present to moderns uh, this 
modern West, people can evolve spiritually. So one of the things when I was writing it, I was very aware of was that when one picks up spiritual books written by enlightened beings, the wisdom is there, but often I experience um, a gap between where I was, you know, in a traffic jam, working in a high-stress city, whatever, and the explanation of a saint who seemed to have no problems and, and have no stress uh, in their environment. So what Remember Eternity attempts to do is uh, describe that same wisdom of spiritual evolution, but put it in the context, Joanna, of where we all are in the modern West in a fast-paced, uh, high-stress um, society. Um, okay, Richard, Richard, let's, um, let's slow this down now. Um, tell me, what do you think, feel, and sense uh, in a very personal way what enlightenment is? Yes, so enlightenment is the realization that what we really are is not what we think we are. We are not egos, we are not personas. We are really infinite consciousness, and we've all had experiences of that. It might have been in love when you looked into a lover's eyes. It might have been looking out on a special moment in nature. It might have been holding your, your newborn infant. But at points in our life, especially a lot of, for a lot of people as children, we had those experiences of just expansiveness and bliss where we realized that pure consciousness. So what we really are is that consciousness and nothing else. The rest of it is an illusion. So the point is that if we can strip away the illusions through technology, and that technology can be whatever the um, seeker you know, chooses. Uh, for me, it was meditation. For other people, it can be you know, different things. But once you experience that consciousness repeatedly, it begins to carry over into your daily life until eventually it's like a foreground-background problem. The foreground of ignorance and separation and disunity gives way to the background of unity and love and bliss. And one begins to carry over from meditation the experience that there is no separation between us uh, as human beings. There is no separation between us as, as beings and objects. And life is love and life is joy and life is, is infinite. So, so uh, would you say that you came to that place where the this is a strange way to say it, but where your awareness of the absolute became permanent? No, uh, I'm still seeking, so I don't mean at all to portray myself as, as having gotten enlightened, because I'm not. But what I try to point out in the book is that even if we don't make it, uh, Joanna, in this lifetime, that we get further down the path, and that when we uh, take on another body in our next lifetime, then we will begin further down the road and closer toward the goal. So, um, but what I did do is I paid enough attention to the people that have gotten enlightened. Now, who are, who are these people? Who are these people? Who, who are they? Yeah. Tell us about Okay. Sure. 
Yeah. So the most important one for me was Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. I became a teacher of Transcendental Meditation and uh, met him personally and spent time fairly close to him. I mean, not intimate, but close. And uh, I got to know what an enlightened being is like. And what he is like uh, was absolute uh, joy, absolute constancy of consciousness, constant stability, uh, a feeling of uplift for everybody in the environment who's in his presence, uh-huh. and an ability to mentally be so coherent that he could literally sit down and talk for three hours, and the text of his talk is a book without any edits okay. uh, being done to it. So um, that was the first person. I also met a, a second um, uh, enlightened being, Shivananda Murthy, in, in India on her around the year 2000 and had more intimate uh, association with him. And then I just did extensive reading of Ramana Maharshi and, and other saints and felt like I, I got to know them uh, through their words and their speech. But the, the personal encounter with an enlightened being uh, is such that it gives you faith that this is not something that's made up, this is not something that's exaggerated, that people have gotten to this level. And that is the whole point of remembering eternity, is that that's the goal in life, that we are not meant here, we are not put here to simply enjoy our sensory experiences or, you know, have our little ego gratifications, but that we're given a very precious human body for a very high purpose. And that purpose is to attain the ultimate of human existence, which is complete enlightenment. And so here is the the question for me. In your books, it it I haven't read your books, which uh, I will look forward to do. Um, you you were recommended to us by a very 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 dear friend, and therefore I was extremely curious to meet you. But it seems to me that in your books, you braid the absolute and, the, and, and with the simple human life of this person, Skylar, that you've created. I missed the first part of your sentence. You said, did yeah. I equate him with that you That you braid, you braid. Oh, exactly, exactly. The and background. The, the real point. Yeah, exactly. And that's the real point of the book, Joanna, is that as you follow the protagonist through the books, you will see experiences that we have all had, which are caused by ignorance. So he will pursue it and uh, enlightenment in the wrong places, right? He will try to get it through intoxication or through sensuality or through uh, ego gratification of success or through whatever. And learn by going to dead ends that these are not the proper ways to attain it, and then eventually work his way towards meditation and the words of a master and a dedication to constantly uh, practice the technology, which will uh, take him as, as close as he can possibly get to the goal. So, um, yes, it's it, and that's, I think, where I, I'm hoping that it fits a valuable niche for people is that it's not speaking to you from a level that you can't relate to. Like when a saint speaks to you from a book, 
and says, life is absolute bliss and there are no problems. And, and you're sitting there and you've just had a fight with your wife and your children are being nasty teenagers or whatever's going on. It seems to come from a different world that's hard to relate to. And what Remembering Eternity attempts to do is to say, hey, we're here in the modern West. We're not living in a cave. We're not sitting in a monastery. Can we still attain what those saints are talking about in the midst of a very challenging environment? So uh, on a third level, I described two levels of the book before. On a third level, the book is the tale of the boomer generation. So it's the latter half of the 20th century um, music plays a very important part in it, so it's mm-hmm. kind of a soundtrack of the 60s and 70s uh, as a background for the book. And uh, it's the current events, the political affairs, the wars, the things that, that our generation went through. And uh, and yes, I think you, you worded it very well. It's, it's braiding together the hero's journey of the mm-hmm. protagonist and the intermittent experiences of the absolute, which are sufficient, sufficiently inspiring to keep him going uh, towards the goal, uh, despite the challenges. So you said uh, our, our this precious life that's given to us, and the way I see it is all of these all of these difficulties that we go through. I don't see them as mistakes. I I see them as sculpting, sculpting me as a human being and uh, sculpting my humanity. Because if if my humanity is not sculpted and tenderized and uniquely created, then I can't see what you call the absolute. What would you say to that? Yeah, and that's be- that's beautifully put, Joanna. I think you've you've put your finger on it there. So that's uh, I can't improve on your description there. And there's a lot of uh, explanations in the in, as you go through the books on you know the purpose of suffering and why uh, ignorance you know has the, the role that it plays in us. It certainly shapes us. It certainly uh, gives us glimpses. It certainly inspires us. In many cases, it simply shows us what we shouldn't do. I mean. You drink too much, you get a hangover, you feel bad the next day, you know, you yell at somebody, you feel guilty, right? Nature is constantly showing us ourselves in a mirror to lead us gently as a mother would a child by the hand back towards the path, which is going to be most direct towards enlightenment. So the beauty of it all is, is that we're inevitably on this path, but we can choose to kind of fast forward into high gear, or we can choose to kind of uh, coast along in neutral. And what Remembering Eternity is encouraging, and and the reason that it was written, is uh, a fervent desire to reach out to my fellow human beings Mm. and say, folks, this is really, really important. A human body is so precious. Mm -hmm. You know, angels worship human beings who are enlightened because... Having a human physical nervous system is the only way that the absolute can be brought into the relative. So we are precious in our human essence. And if we can appreciate that and try to get as far down the road, even if we don't make the goal in this lifetime, as I mentioned, get as far down the road as we can, 
we will not only be doing ourselves a great service, but what we'll be doing a great service to is humanity. Because once you know that you are infinite, once you know that you are united at the level of pure consciousness, that you are not a body, that you are not an ego, that you are that infinite consciousness, then when I look at Joanna, I don't see something other than me. I see the same consciousness that I am, and I don't see anything separate. So when Jesus said, love your brother as yourself, everybody kind of scratches their head and says, how is that possible when I obviously care about myself more than I do my neighbor? <laughs> but the point, that, the point that he was getting at which is that you are your neighbor. You know, you are not this little box that society has told you with this name and this date stamp and this you know, little uh, historical persona attached to it. You are actually this consciousness that when you transcend or when you've had those peak moments in your life and you've realized you're blending with that ocean you're looking at or you're blending with those lovers' eyes or you're blending with that child's smile that you're holding, and there's no separation between you and what would normally be called the other, you are experiencing pure consciousness and you are seeing the unity of all things. If you could live that, Joanna, at all moments, you were operating from the level from which all of life is created. So your very thought at that moment of enlightenment is going to nurture the root of all life. It will nourish everyone and everything uh, that you think about. So it's, it's a very precious goal towards which to proceed. I do see our lives as compost. I do see each one of our lives, every little insect, every little leaf on a tree, as compost for eternity so that everything that, every cell, everything is part of what sustains eternity just like eternity sustains us. Beautiful. Would you say? Beautiful. So, yeah, and, and, and what you've just put your finger on and it shows your natural <clears throat> enlightenment, Joanna, that you, I'm sure you've worked very hard for, is that every manifestation of the absolute is nothing other than the absolute. So for us to say that tree or that leaf or whatever you just mentioned um, is, is something other than is for us to ignore the fact that it is infinite just as we are and just as the cosmos is and just as all the other beings that are existing on other planes are. And <clears throat> everything is really nothing but that absolute and it arises out of it uh, as uh, almost a film uh, emerges on a screen and we watch the great game of Maya uh, being played out. But if we really get enlightened, we'll understand that it's, it's the absolute shining in all these different colors of the rainbow, but it's, it's still the absolute that's just operating everywhere. But you put your finger on it. Isn't enlightenment just paying attention deeper and deeper and deeper like we can do with each other? I would say it's, it's a very specific thing so that it's, 
if you think of those peak moments when you you have transcended, I mean, for me, it started when I was a child and I would just be daydreaming and suddenly my head would fill the room and I would have exquisite bliss and there was no problem in the world. And we all have that, I think, as children and then society kind of trains us out of it. But if everybody could just focus back on those few moments maybe mm-hmm. that they've had that experience of pure consciousness and it could come in all those varieties I talked about, then you realize that that is not only what you are, but that is the answer to everything. So if you could maintain that level of unity, no problems, sheer bliss, love for everything, that's unbounded love for everything, just feeling like the whole world is your newborn infant, then that's enlightenment and that's a very real thing. And uh, it's, it's attained very practically. So for me, it's the quickest mode is meditation, where you meditate and you transcend and then you have some thoughts and then you transcend again. And Maharishi used to comparing it to dyeing a cloth, where you dye the cloth and then you hang it out in the sun and some of the color fades, you dye it again. The color gets deeper and deeper with every dyeing. So that if we keep immersing ourselves in pure consciousness, eventually that color becomes uh, steadfast. And when we go out into the world, what we're seeing is pure consciousness. So it's not like we're not able to function. We're still driving and talking to people and all of that. But what we're seeing is the consciousness behind what used to be separate. So it's rather difficult to explain in words, and, and that's why the book's so long. <laughs> I take repeated attempts to do it from different angles. But it's basically seeing the screen behind the movie, if you will, that you're no longer just seeing the images on the screen, but you're actually seeing the screen. You're seeing that that person you're talking to is as intimate to you as you are to yourself, because that consciousness is what you're feeling all around you. So I would say it's, it's a very practical thing that can be attained and, yeah. and can even be measured by science, where they measure brain yes. waves and yes, yes, they show is. that you know, the brain is getting more synchronous and so on. Um, is it fun? Becoming, becoming a child, uh, so that you have the innocence of a child, but it's becoming a perfectly functioning brain, so that, as I said with Maharishi, you could just literally talk and it comes out like a perfect book. It's also joy, where when you listened or watched him, listened to or watched him, it was just someone at play having an absolutely delightful experience and staying up 20 hours a day and never getting tired and, and just and delighting in life. So, yeah, there's there's nothing like it. If you think about it, Joanna, all the problems that we have come when we separate ourselves from things. So uh, I have a problem with you, or I have a problem with this or that, or my bills or my house. Or, you know, as soon as we say, I'm this little box called Richard, or you're this little box called Joanna, mm-hmm. and then everything is outside of us, we have disunity and tension. And yet the urge of the human soul is for unity. That's what love is about, to unite. That's what you know, um, art is about, to try to attain uh, oneness of the absolute and the, and the medium that you're expressing it in. So it's uh, absolutely fun. Let's, um, let's talk about words, uh, because um, 
I, I experience humility in an, in an interesting, well, aspects of humility in an interesting way. I, I, I have no idea how to describe certain, certain states of bliss and unity. And the reason I call it humility is that uh, somewhere in me, I think that the language, there is no language for that. So what I'd like to hear from you about is how did you find the language where in you and how, what adventure it's been for you to find the language to describe this state of being. Yeah, you're exactly right, Joanne. I mean, the saints say that this experience is indescribable and beyond words. So if you say, is it possible? Probably, literally, it's not possible. Now, what I advocate in the book is, is a theory of art, which I firmly believe in, which is that, and I'm not at all saying that I attain this level, but really great artists have, and that is that my belief is that a great artist operates from a level of high consciousness, and then through mastery of the technique, whether it's painting or musical composition or writing or whatever, they then freeze-dry, if you will, their state of consciousness into the Mona Lisa or whatever it is. And then the audience brings their respective state of consciousness to bear on the artwork and will uh, tune into it depending on how advanced they are so that a shallow person will see a bunch of blobs of paint. Somebody really practical will see, you know, some shapes. And, you know, you'll go on down to a person that's nearly as enlightened as Da Vinci was, and they will pick up some great spiritual truth from the work. So my belief is that art is really designed as a mediating tool between the absolute consciousness of the creator and the level of consciousness of the audience, and that what it's meant for is to try to inspire the audience to its own level of transcendence. So if my book were to uh, succeed at any point, then it would actually trigger in Joanna or another reader mm -hmm. an experience of transcendental consciousness. So if it were to succeed, it, there would be a passage where you would suddenly feel that the boundaries had dissolved in your mind and that you were at one with your environment while you were reading it. So that is what I, that is what I aspired to. Now, given that we said that words can't describe it, I do believe that if the creation is done from a sufficiently quiet level, that the words that come out will be as close to that transcendental level as it's possible to get. So I'm sure you've had the experience with books that I've had where you'll be reading something, you know, war and peace, and mm -hmm. the prince falls off his horse and looks up and there's the blue sky and he's ready to die, but he suddenly realizes this infinite sense of peace or something. And you're transcending with him. You're realizing, wow, life is infinite. And it's not really the battle. It's really just the peace and the joy and the stars. And so that whole story is succeeding at that moment in, in, in lifting you with words to the level that he was at when he was you know, dreaming that scene. So uh, I think you can get close to it uh, if you're a great artist. And I'm not by any stretch claiming that I am, but other people have been. And uh, and the extent to which you do that is how good the, 
so I, I have a koan for you that I just thought about at this moment. What's the difference, and, and really this is about words and describing an experience. What's the difference between a magnificent photograph and a painting of the same thing? An exquisite painting. Maybe the photographers uh, listening would take exception to this, but I would say that um, the closer the artist is to actual creation, um, in other words, you're making up the words for the book, or you're mixing yes. the pigments yes. for the painting, or you're hearing the sounds for the symphony in your head, or whatever, that it's that intimate admixture of consciousness from a very quiet level and extreme mastery of technique that makes for genius so that you will not only have the painting well painted um, that you're looking at but when you see you know Venus uh, rising from the shell or you know I mean when you see that I didn't and I'm sure most people don't just see a goddess you see inspiration. I mean, you see something divine. You almost see somebody having a transcendental experience right before your eyes. So that's genius. And uh, to me, and, and again, I don't know enough about photography, so right, maybe it's right. the same way. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure photographers would say it is. But all I'm saying is that I, I would most respect the intimacy with the medium of creation so that the gap between the consciousness and the actual creation that the fewer the tools, the less the distance, the more I'm writing the notice as yes, I'm hearing yes, it in yes. my mind and writing the words, I'm hearing it floating on that lake of consciousness that, that's closer to the experience that we're trying to get to. So you've, you've said that word that... Um... I cherish, and the word is intimacy. Is there intimacy in those moments of enlightenment? Yes, absolutely. And I think you've, you've said it there, Joanna. It is the most intimate experience one can have. I mean, if one thinks about intimacy with a lover, then bodies are interacting. If the lovers are really in love, then emotions are interacting. If the lovers are spiritual, then spirits are interacting. If the lovers are enlightened, um, they don't even need the bodies um, because the level of intimacy is such that you will know everything about the other person. Uh, if they're enlightened, they will know everything about you. Uh, and the love is uh, uncontaminated by any ignorance. So um, there's no ego. And, and in the books, there's a lot of talk about love. There's a lot of talk about higher form of love, love that you know you can still have in the body, but what really is going on is not what most people in modern society think of as love, which is a lot about your own ego and a lot about gratification of your own senses. Uh, this sort of love is a love about both people experiencing the other as infinite and kind of merging those infinities, if you will. It sounds absurd, but... Uh, one were actually to experience it, one would know that there's nothing more intimate than having absolutely nothing hidden.
you you reminded me that um, often uh, when I uh, made love, I, I wanted the door to be closed, not because I was ashamed of my body, but because I wanted, I always equated, always equate making love physically with someone as being in eternity, as a way to experience eternity. Would you, do you have that experience? Yeah, that, that's lovely, Joanna. It's, and all these things that you're saying, and I don't mean to flatter you, but <clears throat> those are the kind of evolved human experiences that people on the path have, right? Where we have regular human experiences that others in all frankness, maybe having a purely tactile experience. And what we're doing is, uh, or you're doing, is having a spiritual experience. So it's, you know, as you strip away all the separations and you get down to the level of absolutely nothing hidden, that is, you know, transcendence, and that is uh, momentarily at least enlightenment because there's no boundaries. So in perfect love, there are no boundaries, and in enlightenment, there are no boundaries. So there's no separation. You don't care more for yourself than for the other. You don't want to take more than you give. It, there's a blurring of where you begin and where I begin. And all of that is, as you had mentioned before, life teaching us, um, you know, bringing us, kind of gently pulling us uh, along the way to, to show us uh, the path. I mean, it's saying, see how that felt, and see how wonderful that was, and see how perfect that was. Wouldn't you like to be making love in life every moment of the day? Uh, and I don't mean just, you know, or as make love. I mean love of the deepest sort, so that uh, you can't take the smile off your face. The rapture is overpowering. <laughs> you don't, you don't have enough organs uh, to try to express. Yeah you know, what is running through your nervous system as a result of plugging into this this super high voltage uh, infinite charge from the absolute. And yeah, that yeah. is, I think, the most intimate thing that one can have in life. It's, uh, uh, <laughs> it's like bathing. It's, a, it's, like, it's like bathing. I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but there's also terror. I mean, when I have uh, these experiences, uh, they can be associated with terror as well because of the boundlessness. I don't know. Uh, do you have that experience? I, I don't have that, and each one of us is going to have, in our ignorance, we're all going to have our own little demons, and you know, some people have that, other people have loneliness, some people have fear, you know, all kinds of things will jump up at us. And, and really what those are are just the stored impressions of things that we've carried from other lifetimes. So we've had some terrible broken heart or we've had some horrible parent or, you know, we've had something traumatizing. And those get stored in the fabric of our emotional body. And that's what we carry forward in every life so that when we open up our, our ledger for the business of this life, we have assets and liabilities, we have pains and joys. And we're going to keep having those until we 
effaced them, and the eraser that we use to efface them is pure consciousness. So the more you transcend, the more it evens out those bumps in your emotional body. So the terror might have been great, then after a few years of meditation, it's a little less, then after 20 years of meditation, it's quite diminished, and then at the end, it's totally gone. So it's not... The book does not portray that this is something that happens overnight. This is something we have to work at. But we're used to, in the West, working very hard for our goals. And if the goals are money and houses and cars, that may not be worth it. But if the goal is perfect joy and love and bliss and peace forever that will never go away, that's definitely worth working for. So uh, I would say, Joanna, that's just a human thing that we have those things pop up as we, as we attempt to become boundless. Uh, our ignorance doesn't, the ego doesn't want to let go, right? So the ego is a firmly established delusion. I don't agree with you, but you're the, you're the interviewee. <laughs> I think the, I think the, I see the ego like, like this very, very, very precious child. It's, it's, I, I just see it with extreme tenderness and I see it as, as, as the paint. I mean, if if Vermeer didn't have paint, he couldn't have expressed light. I mean, expressing light is the essence of all this. And if Vermeer didn't have paint, he couldn't have expressed that so that so that you and me could see light in such an exquisite way in a painting. Yeah, so I don't think we're ultimately disagreeing. I think I agree with you, Joanna, that uh, the experiences that we've gone through with the ego and the pains and the sufferings um, enrich our lives on the path towards enlightenment. Um, but I would say that ultimately we have to come to an awareness that are we really an ego? Like, are we this body that's so many feet high and this name that our parents gave us and this biography and resume that we've lived, or are we something far more profound? I mean, do we, are we reincarnated? So if we are, then we're not going to be called Joanna and Richard next time, and we're not, we might be different genders, and you know, sure. everything could be completely different. So I don't think we should attach ourselves to an ego and say, that's who we ultimately are, because once we transcend and we realize that bliss, then we see that when I talk about myself as Joanna, really what I know I am is that infinite joy, that infinite love. It's not the worry about the appointment or the fear of the, you know, it's not that ego stuff about did so-and-so like me or does so-and-so say something. It's not the trivial, a little neurotic stuff that we all go through as the ego, because that's an illusion of boundaries, right? That's saying that we're a body and that we're an ego and that we know exactly what we are. We're a little contained package. And what Remembering Eternity is, is arguing is the opposite of that, that we think we are that, especially in the West, we're firmly established in the fact that we're nothing but an ego, but that really what we are is something far more profound and wonderful. And that's, If we realize that, it won't be a loss of identity. It will be a gaining of the foundation of that identity in, in the infinite, right? So we will become not only what we were, but we will 
into all other creation. Yeah, yes, 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 and... I, I mean, I don't think we're differing, because I totally hear you about the pain and the... I mean, if you read Remembering Eternity, you'll see plenty of pain and plenty of confusion, plenty of loneliness, but, plenty of heartbreak, you know, all those things. But underneath it all, the hero is trying to... is experiencing the bliss intermittently such that the suffering, you know, but is, is almost like a chiaroscuro with, you know, the light. So I think we're saying yeah, the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just ultimately okay. we want to get to that uh, place that is, you know, completely, infinitely loving and joyful. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just that I I don't see that as a, I don't see that as a, a goal. I see... I see who we are as humans in in each life, if that is so, that we reincarnate, that each, that our being is a gift to eternity and eternity is a gift to our being, that these things, like I said, are braided, that consciousness and and humanity, to call it something, maybe somewhere else it's called... Uh, uh, Andromeda, Andromeda nurse, <laughs> that these things are braided, that there are gifts to each other. And so for that reason, suffering is not suffering. It is just uh, a hue that enhances the painting. Yeah, and I guess there maybe we would differ a little bit because what I believe... Joanna, uh, from from my readings and, and encounters with the saints, is that there really have been souls, and they consistently say the same thing, no matter what tradition they're from. They will say, you are not Mr. Seeker or Miss Seeker. You are not this suffering entity that you think you are. What you really are is something far more beautiful and wonderful. And once they've gotten to the point that they've gotten to, um, then every atom of their being is radiating love and bliss and nature support. They're supporting the universe simply by being, and they don't suffer. So the point is of my book is that suffering is ignorance, and that if we transcend suffering and get to enlightenment, that we attain a state where we don't need a body anymore, we become infinite consciousness. We could become a bodhisattva and come back to serve humanity, but that there, there, is, there are examples of souls, and we can encounter them at least through books, uh, or if we're lucky, we can encounter them in live beings who have attained a state uh, which is beyond suffering, which is beyond disunity, separation, duality, which is established firmly in the foundation of pure consciousness. And they are lighthouses for the rest of us in humanity, and we, we can swim out of the sea of samsara, if you will. We don't need to be flailing around forever in suffering, uh, and we don't need to justify it um, because it's necessary as long as we're not at the goal, but swimming towards the shore and getting out of the sea mm. is, is really what we're meant to do. So uh, 
really believe that, and, and that's the whole message of the books is let's let's get on the on the path and, and try to get there as quickly as possible. Well, I wonder if there is a, a woman who has given birth, uh, not a not a nun, but a woman who has given birth, who speaks of enlightenment in that way. My ma and there have been a lot of uh, female saints um, who've given birth. Oh, given birth. Yeah, who've um, given birth. Is I'm sorry, Mister. Is your point that it's such suffering, Joanna? Or? Um, my point is not uh, about um, about suffering. My point is about the rightness to unity and the feeding, how everything feeds itself, and that is beauty. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think that it's a semantic thing that's separating us because I keep okay. resonating with everything oh. you're saying. I mean, okay. I'm totally in the book is all the experiences you're talking about, about characterizing, you know, the suffering of being an advantage and showing the way and teaching us and enriching us and all of that. The only difference is that I I really want there to be a happy ending. I believe there is. I understand that. The, the thing is, I don't I don't want to keep suffering. I, uh, I, I want to be established permanently in joy. I, I understand. I understand. I understand. So, tell us where we can get your books. Yeah, yes. so they're on Amazon um, right now. I'm a, a few weeks away from a, an official relaunch where we're um, dividing what used to be three volumes into nine because they're a little more uh, digestible and, and, and that much um, and that size. Right now, the Kindle versions of them are all up on Amazon. Uh, Joanna, mm-hmm. I just remembering eternity. Okay. And, uh, the paperback versions um, of the older three. Three books are there, but the newer ones are probably two or three weeks away from uh, from being with the new covers and the shorter versions, but they'll be available soon. Okay, well, congratulations for being a prolific writer who cares about words and care, cares about sharing your experience. I can relate to that 100%. Okay. Thank you for being. Thank you for being you. Yeah. yeah. It's. <laughs> I've enjoyed our chat. Yeah, me too. Me too. And one day we can meet in person and talk for hours. I'm sure. I really hope so, and I'm going to check out your book right away too. Okay. Great. All right. Thank you so much, thank, Richard. Thank you so much. <laughs>